I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast, and also your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I am here today to talk about an article I wrote called Reflections, and I have three of my good friends in the room. First, I'll introduce Miss Leslie Ray. Hello, everyone. Mr. Drew Dill. Hello. And drum roll, please. For the first time, welcome Mr. Nate Straw. Hello, everyone. A little background on Nate. Uh, he is not only a good friend, but a former colleague uh, where a few of us used to work before the Bonson Group. And he was welcomed to the team, uh, I think, about 30 days ago? Or yeah. how long have you been here? Probably week number three right now. Week number three. Yeah. So deep background in uh, fin- financial advisory work, um, just uh, under a different household. And now he's part of... Uh, part of the flock here at the Bonson Group. So uh, we are uh, welcoming in with this podcast. So this article, Reflections, uh, what I was talking about is one thing that often causes mistakes is when people don't reflect back on uh, the experiences they've had in the past. So this idea that kind of like you've heard before, um, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. It's this idea that if you have an experience, you should slow down look at what happened, and use that opportunity to be introspective or reflective to kind of uh, critique your process uh, and your decision-making to make sure that uh, next time it's different if you didn't like the outcome you had. Now, that truth very much applies to investing. Today, we're going to talk about those two very important reflection moments from last year. And as I said in the article, I know a lot of us uh, want to forget 2020, uh, but there's a benefit to slowing down, looking at those moments and seeing, hey, what wisdom can we glean from that? And also reflecting on how did we behave in that moment and how would we like to behave differently next time? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good good article. It's important to reflect uh, in other contexts, not an investment. I like to, it made me think about when I was reading your article that I like to reflect each year on my birthday on what I did the year prior and how it turned out and all my big decisions, everything I've done. Like, what have I done this year? What was good? What was not good? And then going on next year, then I can make sure I don't do the same mistakes or I keep doing the things that worked. Um, so it works for investments. It works for also in, in your everyday life. Yeah, and a lot of investment truths, right, they translate to other parts of our life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, encouraged me to write this article is we talked about last week that there are people that make a profession out of of trading, like out of timing the market and and trading securities. And the successful traders, which is it's few, it's not many, it's the exception, not the rule, uh, all of them will tell you that they journal. And they write down their decisions so that they can go back and look at how did I feel in the moment and what was the reasoning behind my decision? Because even they'll tell you, sometimes I was right for the wrong reasons. Um, and that reflection point becomes extremely important. So, Nate, what do you got for us? What is your experience with uh, clients yeah. reflecting or not reflecting? I would say it's a double-edged sword. You want to you take into account... You know, the best wisdom that you've gained over the years is, you know, as much as possible. But sometimes people, you know, are running on euphoria because they've hit a trade multiple times. And so they want to, it leads them down a dangerous path. So, you know, you know, there's danger there, but there's also danger with um, all the other mistakes they've made from maybe not doing anything at all and um, a lack of decision. 
So um, it can lead to good decisions, future decisions, but also can you can run up into some bad ones from kind of like a runner's higher euphoria with with uh, big uh, trading wins in your past. You know? That's an interesting perspective that I didn't even think about is that this idea that reflection could also feed your pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it could also grow an ego that uh, shouldn't be growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the authors I really like uh, talks about this idea of it being very difficult to differentiate uh, luck and skill. Um, one of the differences is that skill has consistency, um, where luck has a randomness to it. Um, but I, I like that you put that on there because when I when I wrote an article, I said sometimes you have to look in the rearview mirror. Uh, and there's two different things that you could see in that rearview mirror. One is regret and one is reflection. And I don't want to encourage people regret is this idea of wishing you didn't make that decision in the past. Um, and it kind of leads to shame and embarrassment. The kind of reflection that I want is that, hey, I made this decision. There's no go back and changing that. It's spilt milk. But how would I do that differently? And it's more of this idea of um, trying to grow as an investor, as a saver, as, a, as an individual, so that you can say, hey, next time when I'm approached with the same decision, I'm going to go to my tool belt and use this experience to equip me to make the decision that I would think is wiser next time. Yeah, I feel <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I feel like when I was reading your article and hearing us talk, we're talking about reflection in two different senses though, right? You're talking about reflection on emotional. How did we feel in the moment of COVID of March 23rd? Or if, you know, for people who are in 2008, how did you feel in that moment or in the 80s and so forth? So that's one sense of um, I think what we're talking about is reflection. So how do we emotionally feel um, during that time, which I think is really good to understand. But then there's also a reflection with what objectively happened in the markets as well. Right. So there's how we felt. And then there's also reflection on how do the markets react? And I feel like you're getting at both senses of reflection of objectively how the market's been reacting in times of recession, but then also how we act in times of recession as well. Does that make sense? It does, uh, but I'm going to actually offer maybe a third dimension and challenge that, what you said a little bit. I I actually don't know if we can reflect on how it felt emotionally. I I think it's near impossible to get in the emotional time machine and try to relive like that anxiety because I think that the the full punch of that is only felt in the moment. What I was trying to get at in regards to reflection is like what decisions did you made? you make um, and kind of trying to look at your your decisions will be the thread you can pull on to see what emotion you were feeling but you can also see in hindsight uh, what was the aftermath of when you made that decision and and I will get to kind of what two moments I will highlight but uh, does that make sense to you yeah but pulling on that a little bit more to where there are people who I think really felt a certain way but they went against their feeling take a somebody who you used in the uh, your example with the person who wanted out but as you talk them off the cliff type thing, they, they stayed in. They wanted to make a decision, but they didn't. And so there's that reflection to where obviously that person was wanting to get out and get out quick. But their decision, their objective decision, what they did right in that moment is they stayed the course, even though it went totally against how they were feeling, which I feel like is, is what you're talking about as well, to where there is that reflection. And it is hard to go back in hindsight to be like, how did I feel in that moment? But I think people did realize, like your client at that moment, they're very, very terrified um, in that time to where they were going to probably make a really bad decision. Um, Does that make sense? 
It does make sense. And then we'll open up the conversation there. I said in the article that there's two moments you should reflect in from last year. And maybe there's more than that. I'm just highlighting this article. And we'll start with, uh, we got two different dates, right? I'm going to say March 23rd and November 3rd. And we'll talk about both of those. The thing that Drew's talking about is on, on March 23rd, that was the bottom of the market. Now, we only know what a bottom is in hindsight, right? Because we can look backwards and see that. We didn't know that in the moment. But I talked about two different conversations I had, one with a client and one with a non-client. Uh, uh, an investor I know was basically telling me uh, in that March moment, uh, in those dark hours, they just didn't want to be invested in stocks anymore. Uh, they didn't like that feeling of the portfolio being worth a third less than it was going into March. And uh, they didn't really want to be convinced otherwise. And I thought their language was pretty unique. They don't want, they basically said, I don't want someone to tell me to stay the course. I don't want someone to tell me to be patient. I've had enough. I just want out. And that's understandable. And I, I juxtapose that next to a client that I did talk to that had those same feelings in that moment, but they had a little bit of ease knowing they could hold me accountable to say, hey, this is the way I'm feeling, but ultimately I've hired you to follow your advice. So I'm going to stay the course um, because that was my encouragement. And when we looked back one year later, because um, in my job, I have to reflect, right? Because I'm going to go over performance over the last 12 months. When I had a meeting with that client in, uh, I think it was April of, of this year, I basically went month by month and showed them the percentage gain from the last 12 months in both percentage and dollars. And I basically said, let me show you what you're, you're, you were compensated for in patients, right? You were compensated this much in May of 2020 and so on and so forth. And you looked at those 12 months and it was a six-figure number. That's a big paycheck for being patient. Yeah, when we were talking about these examples uh, in your article, it made me think about your friend that is a non-client investor uh, might be invested not per his risk tolerance. Maybe he's just too aggressively invested. And it could be because he doesn't work with someone like you or a trusted advisor to help him build a portfolio that actually would work for him, that he had such a strong reaction. What do you think? I think that's a great point, and I have a lot of opinions on risk tolerance, but I really like where you're going with it in the sense that risk tolerance is extremely important if you're going out on your own, right? Just like in any analogy, like if if you're going to go, uh, you know, check out sharks, uh, do you want to go out on your own and the risk that you take, or is there a professional that can take you through that? And what I mean by that, or skydiving, right? The first time mm-hmm. you skydive, uh, when you go through the class, I think you have to be strapped on to somebody. It's that if you're partnered with the right person, your risk tolerance can look a lot different. But if you're going at it alone, it's an extremely important uh, metric or measuring point or qualitative understanding to see what can I withstand. And I would actually argue, and I don't want to open up Pandora's box, but uh, with a professional like an advisor, I think a client can actually expand that risk tolerance. Yeah, I think you did open up Pandora's box, whether you like it or not. No, I'm just kidding. So two things that I really liked what you said as well. When you juxtapose client one, who was like, hey, I want out, and they're not, they're, they not weren't a client. A client. Yeah, yep. they weren't a client. They're doing it on their own, excuse me, and then a client to where you actually had. I think that there's something um, there with people who do it on their own that at the end of the day, they, they're holding themselves accountable. And so their risk tolerance is low. They don't have somebody outside of them that they can point to and be like, hey, you're kind of you need to own this. So where at the end of the day, he knows, right, his portfolio, it's really up to him. He's got to face his wife or grandchildren or whatever, whoever he's accountable to the money 
for or himself to where if you have an advisor, somebody outside of you that can can really uh, uh, give you that objective advice. But to your point, I love that idea that your risk tolerance does expand um, because you have somebody that you're paying, that you're trusting, right, and so forth. So it's a, it's a lot help, more helpful in those in those times of calamity for sure. Yeah, I'd add that, you know, sometimes risk tolerance can be determined by their spending needs too. And that's part of our job is making sure, okay, we assess their spending needs, their income needs. Um, but also we want to take in mind their comfort levels. And that's where the emotional aspect comes in. And having someone that's emotionally detached from the situation, right, that's helpful in a lot of difficult times or situations. And investing can be difficult because it's volatile. But think about the other volatile seasons in life, whether it was 2020 or just a hard relational uh, thing you're going through or um, a disaster in your life. Going to someone that's emotionally detached from the situation and not in it with you can just provide some extreme value in your decision-making process because just the rationality that comes from that. It doesn't mean that we're, as advisors, we don't get emotional, but having someone that's detached in that way, I think, is is a huge value add um, to make those objective calls. Yeah, as you're talking about that, I'm actually getting that vision of somebody kind of in the military or a firefighter that they are used to making quick decisions in really tough moments uh, that most of us would not be equipped to do. So it's reinforcing this idea that there can be huge benefit to a professional coming alongside you. Sometimes I call it the safari guide or whatever it might be. Somebody that's been on this terrain before and understands how to make decisions in very difficult times. And in my own reflections from those two conversations with the non-client and the client, uh, I talked about in the article, uh, my paradigm shifted right, where I actually uh, agree with the investor uh, that uh, it's probably not my job. Uh, actually, let me, I don't, want, I don't know if I want, want to say it that way, but uh, that I, I don't think going forward, I'm going to tell somebody, hey, Drew, I need you to be patient. I need you to stay the course. Uh, I don't think that I have a superior patience because that is not a quality that I see in other facets of my life. Uh, what I do have is hope, though. And hope, I think, is built on this belief system that things have worked out before. And I think that you strengthen that hope muscle when, one, you've been through volatile markets like Nate refers to, and two, you've studied market history to see what the other side of the wall looks like, right? Because in the moment, you're in a deep fog of uncertainty. But if you have the lessons of history and you have your own personal experiences, then you can have hope. And I think hope is infectious. And I think that if your uh, words and your actions and your encouragements in that moment uh, are showing that hope, I I don't think you have to give a lecture on um, how you have to be more patient. That's such a great point. And what you're saying is that I think when when people are hearing this podcast, they may be thinking hope, and there's hope in the Disney Channel sense to where it's wishing upon a star, and there's nothing concrete that it's anchored in. But what you're talking about is different. It's hope that's anchored in a historical reality that we can go back to and look to. It's hope that's anchored in in homework, right, and looking back to the past. And I think that's the key there, too, to where we're talking about a real tangible objective hope to where the past has really been a very good, helpful barometer to what we can look to in the future in a really broad and general sense, knowing that when there's a recession, you look back and the market comes back higher than it was prior, you know, before that recession, which has been the pattern. 
um, I, I love that. But it's it's a hope that's anchored in something that's um, tangible and real. I think supporting clients with education that we have, because that's part of our job, um, can be helpful because, you know, I see and I tend to be that way too if I don't reflect on it or think through it uh, in a, a very... Um, you know, factual manner. I don't think, but this time it's different. It's not like the times before. It might be different. It might have a different outcome. But what? So even if you reflect on the last time, you think, well, I don't know if this time is the same time. Maybe it's a different crisis. There's different parameters. But if you know what happened before in the market and how the cycles work, the market cycle work, and and you have some background, some education, or you work with someone that can help you with that. Um, I think it's helpful for people. And then they don't need to be lectured on being patient They because it, if they understand it, then they can kind of uh, uh, justify their own behavior that way. Yeah, and I, I think that will lead us to our, our next discussion about that November 3rd moment, uh, this idea that uh, don't fool yourself. You're not good at forecasting. Uh, none of us are. Uh, so I think some of the mistakes that I made uh, pre-COVID was this idea of uh, trying to compare COVID to SARS or other events in the past and being confident that that was going to be the outcome. Uh, and I didn't need to have an opinion. I, I actually didn't need to have that forecast. Um, what was important was, was there anything that was potentially going to jeopardize the income production that a client has from dividends and interest that their whole financial plan is dependent on? Uh, then if, if that was true, then there should be discussion and adjustments and pivots. Um, but outside of that COVID moment, is it abnormal for markets to go down 36%? Uh, it's not. Um, like you called it, business cycles. Uh, there will always be uh, a different villain to blame for what's causing that. Um, but the event or that volatility it should be expected. And that's why I've had a lot of conversations with clients about that no surprises rule. Uh, we should walk into this expecting it to behave like this. The villain will always be unknown. Um, that will be the black swan. That will be the thing that I shouldn't forecast. I shouldn't guess. I don't know what's hiding behind the corner. But the outcome and the path that goes along uh, has some predictability to it. Yeah, so it, I think when we think of, you know, uh, you can do March 23rd or November um, of 2020 for the election. I think when people are in those moments, they think this is going to be the thing because they're getting media, apocalyptic, doom and gloom, just surrounding them with every which way they turn. And so I think that if you asked a client in 2008, they'd say, well, this is different than the Great Recession. This is the thing that could really tip, right, the United States into total, right, utter calamity. And then you get COVID. It's the same thing. And then Joe Biden's elected. It's the same thing. Or Donald Trump was elected. It's the same thing, depending on who you're talking to. But the idea is that these people, or people in general, including ourselves, right, we look at those moments and we think this could be the one thing to where it doesn't come back. And that's that lingering, I think, fear that continues to go on, which, to your point, I think is really helpful to really settle down, right, reflect and, and, to, uh, and to do your homework. Yeah, and that March 23rd moment was this idea of we're saying, hey, markets misbehave. So in our reflections, at least for Trevor, um, I'm going to do my best next time not to give somebody a lecture to say, be patient. But I am going to make sure that uh, everything in my being is showing that my hope uh, and belief is in uh, an outcome that is much more rosy than maybe people are predicting or assuming. Uh, now, the other side of it uh, is 
politics can impact our decisions too, right? They can, uh, we're learning in our world, they can sometimes dictate our friendships and how we treat family members and uh, how we interact with social media. So uh, it's been very much in our face recently. Uh, And the unknown is what is the relationship between markets and politics? Um, Because there is one, right? Um, Because when those changes happen, uh, whether they're regulatory or tax changes, uh, it would be silly to say that they don't have an impact, that they they actually do. But it goes back to this idea of of forecasting. I, I walked into November... I remember some very specific conversations uh, with some newer clients that wanted to kind of just hold off, just wait. Uh, you know, I'm going to move over some some funds to invest, but it would be my preference to kind of see, hey, let's see how this all shakes out in November because it seems like things are going to be pretty wild. Uh, and what's what's interesting about that is uh, for for that investor, the claim was correct. Things were indeed wild. Uh, things were newsworthy. But the problem is that claim was connected to how markets would behave. Uh, and the thing that I I find, uh, which is weird to say comical, but I do, is that markets did exactly the opposite of what we thought they would do. Uh, November was one of the best months for the stock market. Uh, you can measure it in a lot of different ways uh, in like the last century. Like in the last 50 years or 100 years, you could take, hey, what were the top 10 best month? Uh, November of 2020 was one of those months. So uh, yes, uh, there were a lot of uh, newsworthy things happening. Uh, there was a lot of um, uh, fighting <laughs> between two political parties and who was going to be in office and, and things like that. Uh, but markets didn't behave the way that uh, this gentleman thought they were going to. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you know, to your point, the villainization of, of any leader, you know, on the last two, two presidents, I've seen it in both ends, right? And um, it trickles down to daily, in the aspects of daily life for not just an investor's decisions with the markets, but also in the relationships, uh, their savings, purchasing decisions. Um, and there's a, there's a definitely a carry through. So I think there's some emotional, dr- there's an emotional driver there that impacts and and, uh, affects them financially in more ways than I think most people think. And um, I've seen on both ends. Um, So it's a a really good point to make. I like to remind people, and I I do financial planning. I don't work with clients on investment that much anymore. But I like to remind people that we invested in companies, right? So if one president or another one is is elected, companies still running, they're still projecting produce the product that they are producing some things may change but ultimately they're trying to make a profit and keep going with business and um it this whole story about that i I had a client at some point that came a new client to a previous firm i was working for and um she sold out before trump got elected because she thought the market was going to tank and she went all in cash and she missed out on a lot of good returns. And she came to us like month and month later because then the problem was she didn't know when to go back in the market. She didn't know when to enter. So she put herself in that position uh, by, by confusing politics and market, even though they are linked in some ways, but kind of confusing that uh, the big debate and everything that's going on with uh, the total market returns that you would get that link point you're talking about is true but it doesn't equip you to forecast 
And that's mm-hmm. the problem is that you can talk about how interrelated they are, but then you can even backwards look and say, well, now let's look for relationships. Let's look how the markets behaved when the president is under this uh, regime or this and that you can't find any correlation or causation. Uh, so then you just kind of have to say uh, you have to go back to your financial plan and what's driving what your needs are and making sure that you build a portfolio that reflects that. And, and the thing that I want to point out is that we're, we're reflecting on uh, November 3rd of, of 2020, but fill in the blank, doesn't matter. Right. Because that, you know, one month later when there was the Georgia runoff, uh, I was getting the same conversations. And now there's talks about tax code changes and the same conversations. So this isn't going to get away from you. Right. Uh, if, if it is true that politics and markets are related, but there's not a way to equip yourself for forecasting and there's not a strong correlation you can find, then uh, it, it almost becomes a, a useless discussion point, I guess. Yeah, because the fiscal policy that they implement, whoever's in in power, it could have effects five years from now, ten years from now, and so it that I think is hitting your point, Trevor, to where you can't really you can't link the two in the sense of trying to be equip clients with pivoting a portfolio based upon a political maneuver or decision or a new policy, because we don't understand how that policy will affect the the market, right? Um, and when that's a really good point. There's a few. Uh financial quotes that just kind of find their way to all financial blogs and, and discussion. And, and I have to put it in here because I love it. And it, it says the main purpose of the stock market is to make fools of as many men as possible. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one. And only men, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> way superior. <laughs> yeah. I agree. And actually the studies show it. So I, I think it's, uh, I think it's well supported. Um, so kind of, uh, we'll kind of get to a point of wrapping up, but it's this idea that if you never reflect, you never really give yourself an opportunity to learn. And if I talked about this idea of how important hope is, um, and I mentioned the article, I exercise that hope muscle by um, going through these experiences and reflecting. Um, I saw one client behave this way, and I saw another client behave this way. Now, what Nate made a really good point is there is this idea that you don't want to be fooled by randomness, but that's how statistics work. If you get a big enough sample size, so a big enough uh, amount of experiences from a, a guy like me that talks to you know, hundreds of people and has helped on hundreds or thousands of financial plans, uh, I've got a decent sample size. Then you go and you study market history, uh, and then you expand that sample size even further. Um, so yeah, I think that can help you uh, kind of build up that hope muscle. And the thing that we talked about in this conversation that I didn't hit on the article is this idea of when you're equipped with a professional, um, it can even take you further to kind of uh, basically uh, hitch your wagon to their hope. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a benefit to that. That's a great point. I think even this last year, I mean, think about how fear has really gripped um, just the world, the country. And if you look at, you know, I think most people look at their lives and they think, it, look at all the big decisions they've made. Fear isn't, if you're driven by fear, you know, you end up getting decisions that are not, you don't have very good outcomes. So having fear in the driver's seat for things. And right now, I mean, coming out of 2020, I think some people, a lot of people are still captivated by the events and and, um, that kind of trauma is still resonating with them. But um, setting your decision making into a hopeful mentality, I think, leads to overall just better outcomes for you in the long term. 
Yeah, I like that you said that. I remember reading an author, an author that basically drew the line between faith and fear. And, and I think faith can can be somewhat synonymous with hope. So we'll we'll use it for this context. And he said the 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 similarity of those two is they both deal with an undetermined future, right? Um, you're both both of those. You're having to kind of uh, mentally look through the fog and kind of paint the picture of what you think the outcome is. Uh, fear paints a very dark picture of what that outcome is going to be, uh, even though it's unknown. And faith paints a very, uh, I, I don't want to say rosy, but it, it paints a very different picture uh, of what that outcome will look like. Um, so reality is um, your thoughts become your actions and your actions become who you are. So um, winning over that battle between your ears is pretty important. Um, so we don't want to be Pollyannish, right? Uh, we want to have a, a fair perspective on uh, the way the world works, um, but it should be rooted in some sort of context, uh, and there should be some sort of logic base there. Yeah, agreed. Fear, just one thing to add, you know, when you talk to people who are riddled and, and just in, engulfed by fear, they have blinders on to the bigger picture typically, right? They're focusing on one or two you know, things that are real, but they're usually missing the ability to take a step back and look at the entirety of the picture because their eyes cannot leave the two things that they're totally frightful of. Um, and that's where I think that somebody who has hope or, you know, faith, but anchored in an objective, um, you know, reality that we were talking about can take a step back because they're seeing the bigger picture. Um, and I think that's a helpful paradigm as well to, to kind of understand. Yeah, I read a book recently on uh, maxing out your life and, self-help books, I like those type of things. And it, they were talking about how if you think about something, then your brain starts looking for it. So if you have negative thoughts, then you will see that and it will kind of drive you unconsciously towards that path. If you think always that the worst will happen, it kind of drives you towards that, um, that path. So thoughts are important, not only for investment, but for everything in life. Yeah, that's a good word. I, I kind of wrapped up the article with this uh, little cycle. I'll encourage you, and I like to keep things simple. So it was basically plan, reflect, pivot, repeat. Uh, and that's what financial planning is going to be all about because the future is unknown. So we'll do our best to anchor ourselves in history and things that uh, have validity to them. Uh, we will set a path and make a plan, uh, and then we will hold that plan loosely, uh, right? Because we are willing to pivot as the environment changes, uh, as the needs change, um, and we have experience with uh, those pivots happening a lot in clients' lives. Um, mm -hmm. So that experience helps us to be uh, great professionals and uh, counterparts to our clients. So uh, I'm going to begin to wrap it up, but I will do a quick roundabout because Sean Latimer gave me a hard time for not doing this last <laughs> time. Uh, is there any final thoughts anybody would like to share? Yeah, I, the only thing I would go just to piggyback off what you were saying is I, I feel like so many times that I've been on this podcast, well, I think it's four times. So this is my fourth. So, so I many. I shouldn't say so You're many. basically a veteran. <laughs> yeah. So many times. <laughs> I'm a pro. No, um, but I, there's a reoccurring theme that I consistently have heard for the last four times. And also as I've listened to it, the ones that I haven't been on is that planning is so important um, for, for the bigger picture. And so um, – I, we come back to that, I think, for the for the reason of that it's it's really the bedrock, right, of of how we should be doing things and having a good strategy plan and a full understanding. So I just want to piggyback off that and agree and emphasize it again. Yeah, it's important, and it's important because you don't want your firefighter to shoot from the hip, exactly. Right, you want them to have some tactical on the job training um, because your life's at stake. 
uh, we're not talking about a life being at stake, but um, financial planning is not meant to be shot from the hip. Leslie's kind of cocking her head saying that maybe somebody's life is at stake if the financial plan's not good. Uh, she makes the financial plan, so I think I guess it's very serious. Yeah, <laughs> elevation of her career and job security and all, all the such. So uh, usually at this time of the podcast, we'll ask you to rate the podcast. It'd be much appreciated. Five stars are always preferred. Uh, you can email Tom at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that to Drew or Nate or Leslie or Trevor. We're happy to answer any questions questions uh, comments are welcome and then we're always inviting uh questions that uh, or things that you want us to talk about on this podcast because uh it is fun for us to do it and uh sit around at the round table and have good discussion but it is meant for you so let us know what you would like to see um and then nate has never done this before but right now we always say we'll be back next week with more of our thoughts, thoughts on money, money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.